Once again, if this is your first time listening to the Move Swiftly podcast, welcome to the show. To my regular listeners, it's like we are on a series, man. Listen, I, I've had the majority, of, for those of you who do, know, who do not know, I will announce it again. My most recent book is titled The Six-Figure Athlete, in which I co-authored this book with about 11 other authors. No, it's like 10 or 11 other authors. Uh, yeah, it's 10. No, 11, I'm sorry. 11 other authors. And I've had the majority of the other authors on the show. And today I have yet another one who has an incredible story. Again, I read your chapter read and it felt like I was reading my biography. So with all that, before I make this intro too long, Mr. Reed Meyer, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing great, man. Thanks so much for having me. Yes. You know, and let, let's just jump right into it, man. Because like I said, one of the things that that stuck out to me about your chapter, it really did, really touched my heart is, when you, you know, you mentioned how much you fell in love with the game of baseball. You mentioned how, you know, how much my, my, my personal love was football. But you, you talked about one of the things I think on page 97 it was, was you, you were very, actually, you know what, this is, let me just read it. I have it right here. You said, for those of you who'd, for those of you who'd like to check the scoreboard, I'm a white man attending a private high school in Texas with parents who are willing and able to financially invest in my sport aspirations. If this had been a video game, one could argue I started my journey on the easiest possible setting. So I read that and I know I, I didn't have the white parents, but I definitely had two great parents that, you know, they invested in my sports aspirations and things like that. However, things got, got to a point where they became very difficult. So I think the best way to start off this conversation is just kind of going back to that that place where you were in high school and then how do you go from there to actually being diagnosed with depression <laughs> you know that's a that, you know if, 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 if you were looking at it, it's like how do you fill in that gap I mean you're going through it you're you're obviously you have these offers you're a baseball stud but then at some point you get diagnosed with depression so I think the best way to kick it off is to just kind of start from there it's just kind of fill in the gap man <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I'll I'll do my best. Try to try to keep me on pace if I if I start going off the oh, yeah. too much. So, I will I will let you know. This is the Move Swiftly podcast, and we don't have any time limits, and nothing is off limits on this show. We keep it all the way hundred, all the way funky. You know, we just keep it. I don't just bring anybody on. So do your thing. Say whatever you got to say. <laughs> Beautiful, man. Yeah, no, I dig it. So yeah, I mean, to your point, you know, to kind of kick things off, I, I like I said in the book, right? I, I think I. I was in a position where I I had a lot of options uh, growing up. I was I was fortunate to be in the position that I was, and I think because of that, you know, I and I grew up and, and happened to be you know have the body and, and the size for a baseball player. I was six four, you know, by the time I was fifteen years old. I was left handed pitcher. 
um, you know, had all of the makings of, of what these coaches wanted to see when it came down to that, you know, was able to go and get in front of coaches in different places, had the resources to be able to reach out to folks and do things like that. And so, you know, I think for me, it became a much bigger component of my of my development, a much bigger factor in my in my high school process um, when looking at colleges. I, I think, you know, one of the things that I did, and I think a lot of kids fall into the same pitfall, is I let athletics slowly dominate uh, my decision-making process when it came to college. That was my number one priority. And, and while I don't think there's a necessarily a problem with it being your number one priority, it certainly can't be your only priority whenever you're making a college choice. And that's that's what it became for me. And so I started sort of looking away from all the different things in my in my college process or my college search process that had anything to do uh, with anything that wasn't baseball. Um, I, I wanted to be a division one athlete. I wanted to go to a power five conference. Um, and that was sort of where my uh, needs started and stopped um, without anyone really pressuring me or, or encouraging me to think beyond that. And so when that was the case, uh, that's what I shopped for. And that's and, and that's all I pursued. And that's all I sort of entertained whenever it came to, to conversations I was having with different groups. And I think back now, the different schools that I had conversations with or could have had conversations with that really probably would have been better overall holistic fits for me. Um, but I just cut off at the pass immediately because they didn't fit this arbitrary sort of baseline that I had set for myself uh, when it came time to pick these schools. And so, you know, for me, that was sort of the starting point and the kickoff point of, of where that where that struggle really started. I, I made it to, to, uh, to Texas Tech University. That's where I signed my scholarship to play baseball. And there was a coaching change over the summer, which if anybody knows anything about sports, that's always a bit of a, a re-roll of the dice. Um, you know, I was, I still was able to keep my spot on the team, but it certainly wasn't something that uh, was necessarily set in stone at that point. I was coming in sort of had to reprove myself to a new coach, um, was moving to a new environment, a new city that I wasn't familiar with. I came from a larger city in, in Texas, was moving to a much more rural city. Um, had never lived out in the country despite being down south, um, was very much a city boy in that respect. And so right, there were right. cultural things that I struggled with. I didn't know what my major was until I showed up. And so there really was just this full shell shock as a you know 17-year-old kid, because I graduated early, showing up to this place and being in a locker room full of adult men and not really understanding how this transition to college worked. And so right. when I got there, it was it it kind of overwhelmed me to be quite honest with you. And so the, yes. the fall season starts and I'm getting my butt kicked in workouts and I'm trying to keep up with the, with my grades and I'm trying to keep up with, you know, life and social life and, you know, a long distance girlfriend and trying to figure right. out where my place is on this team. And that, that sort of culmination or compilation of, of pressures was something I wasn't necessarily ready for or didn't anticipate and it got the better of me in my in my first semester and so by the time I got back to uh got back home for winter break I had actually lost roughly 60 pounds um and a lot mm -hmm. of that was due to you know the pressure and the anxiety and the onset depression that came from that and trying to sort of make all these pieces work and not really being able to to figure it out not knowing how well there, there's two points that I want to address, and this is really for the listeners, and especially if you are either a sports parent or you're an athlete listening in. When you said that it slowly started to dominate your thoughts, I completely understand that because my father, I grew up in a Caribbean household, and my father, before I went to Good Count, I went to Good Council High School, which is a, it's a fairly big-time high school when it comes to my area and football and stuff like that. And he would tell me before he sent me there, he'd say, look, 
are you're not going there to just be a jock he would ask me like in a serious way this is a big step this is something that is not just about football and I would I would sort of say yes in a tongue-in-cheek way but I started to slowly I understand what you mean when you say slowly it started to dominate my thoughts because I went from a public school where I was getting straight A's to where by the time I got to my high school my freshman year I ended with a 1.5 and had to go to summer school. So when you talk about the the kind of the slow way in which it dominates your thoughts, can you give us some, give at least the listeners some details in terms of what you mean by that? Like what what are the things, the slow things that that starts as like the, what's that movie? The slow knife, Batman. The, it's a slow knife that kind of pierces the skin and this twist and twist and twist. So can you speak on that a little bit? Yeah, for sure. So I think, I mean, I would imagine that that, that sort of process manifests itself differently with different people mm-hmm. based on their backgrounds and, and different factors. For me, it was very much, um, it was a lot of external motivators in my life that started dominating my intrinsic yes. motivators, I guess is the best way to put it. So, yes. you know, and I think about when I was in, when I was in high school, uh, kind of a nerdy kid overall, like grew up, like like anime, like reading, like you yeah. know that was kind of my my general interests and, and kind of my conversation points. It wasn't necessarily the most social kid in the world. I struggled in in big groups and settings and things like that. So school dances were nerve wracking for me and things like that. But what I always had for me was was sports. I was yeah. I was yeah. really good at baseball, and I just always kind of had a knack for it. I had the body for it, and that was kind of my way to sort of be in whether it be social circles, friend circles, family circles, whatever, that was kind of this thing that I could hang my hat on, for lack of a better term, that was kind of a, a definer for me. And mm-hmm. as I moved through high school, I think what happened was, you know, that element of who I was became a larger topic of conversation among friends, became a larger topic of conversation among family. Now I'm traveling for tournaments, I'm being asked to be put on yeah. certain mm-hmm. teams, I'm going to showcases and getting positive feedback from coaches and, you know, in a very sort of specific way where you kind of notice, you start to kind of notice it that, Hey, you're getting pulled off to the side and, you know, Mm -hmm. more folks are coming over to watch you versus, you know, and some things like that. And so I think, you know, as I saw that sort of start to happen around me as, as I just was playing the sport because I loved it and I wanted to be around it, you know, those positive motivators were sort of affecting how I was thinking about it and how I was sort of placing it in my mind as, as time went on, I realized that this thing that I was good at this thing that I was doing you know, mm-hmm. was getting attention. People were now asking me, how was baseball going? Who was talking to me? Where was I being recruited? Where am I, who am I going to play with that summer? And, you know, it became sort of this, this draw in my yes. life. And so as that started to happen, and again, I don't think it, it I don't even remember it necessarily happening consciously so much as just that yeah. became, that became the the point of conversation. That was all I really brought to the table when it came to talking with friends and talking with family, or at least that's how I felt that that was the, Part of the conversation that I was a part of where people paid attention to me or people cared about what I was saying or people had the same interest as I did um, because not a lot of people wanted to talk about the other stuff that I was interested in. Um, exactly. Or at least I wasn't broaching it. And so, you know, that built and built and built all the way until, you know, you, there's almost this obligation to fulfill these expectations. There is an obligation in your head, at least, to fulfill these op- expectations of, you know, he's the baseball kid. He's been slaughtered in all these different places. He needs to go play at this level. He needs to go achieve this this margin of success that we, as a society, have decided is sort of the the, the bar of success in sports. Which, you know, I think when I was a kid, I, I marked that as, "Hey, it's D one or bust." Right? You hear that phrase all the time. 
Now yeah, is somebody I, I, who's... I've said that phrase quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's and, and that was certainly where my brain was on it. And, and and only now, you know, working on the other side and being on the college counseling side and the college prep side, you know, have mm-hmm. I completely I've completely changed my mindset on that. But it took me yes. almost kind of getting my butt kicked by it to to realize that you know we've we've created this arbitrary bar of success, but it doesn't really apply to your success in athletics, to your success in college, to your success in life. There's there's no real uh direct margins or correlations you can find on most of those uh on most of those bars that we that we create for ourselves and so by the time I got to college it was almost like I was I felt more strangled by my sport than I yeah. did empowered by my sport by the time I got to college yes and and that's that that's actually the second point that I wanted to bring up because well first of all for for you listeners now this is this, what he said was very very important for you guys to grasp because again you're going to feel this acceptance with your sport, but it's very, 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 very important that you stay humble. And this is something that you have got to do because all of these grown adults slobbering over you and this acceptance that you feel, it's not necessarily the truth. It's not, as you just heard, again, it can lead to depression if you don't figure out ways of humbling yourself and, and just figuring out ways to stay grounded, all right? Do not let these college coaches come and gas you up. Do not let your mommy and your daddy and your, your parents and all these people, all these these teammates or these quote unquote friends come and gas you up. We can go on an actual soapbox if I was to go down that route. So but I won't do that to you right now. I want to be respectful of your time. All right. Now, you brought it up, though, because, again, like you, this is why when I was reading your chapter, it felt like it was like my biographies, because my first three years of college, I was on three different campuses. You were actually a little different. You four years on four different campuses. So can you, again, you're your freshman year, you get the diagnosis, and then now, you know, you're on all these different campuses. You know, how did you get to that point and then, you know, come out on the other side and figure out a way to, to start up a company named Athletes to Athletes, where now you're counseling young athletes on where, how to make the right college decision and things of that nature? Yeah, for sure. So I think, you know, my my experience to to career is probably one of the the purest examples of do as I say and not as I do. Um, yes. <laughs> I, I very yes. much, yeah, I mean, <laughs> the best way to describe it, I guess, is putting on a helmet and just kind of firing through it is really what my undergrad <laughs> turned into. Um, but well, yes, yeah, so the term you use in a book is you majored in eligibility. <laughs> man, we used to talk about that all the time, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's that's really what it came down to, man. And by the end of it, I you know, I was stitching together four different schools and four different majors, and they just said, hey, this will this will get you to the end. And that's kind of at that point, I was so beat up. I was like, man, I'll take it. I, that's great. So, you know, I, um, so yeah, to your point, you know, I went to four schools in four years, I only played baseball at two of them because I burnt myself out halfway through and kind of, and kind of took that option away from myself really as, as I was going through the process. So I wow. signed my scholarship with Texas Tech and I'm there for a year and it's just, you know, top to bottom, just sort of a bad a bad experience, not because of Texas Tech, but just because of, you know, I didn't prepare myself appropriately for what that was going to be. So uh, I'm there for a year, have a have a bit of a rough time there, decide to leave and uh, and go to Weather Virginia College. So I transferred before the transfer portal existed. And um, so I needed to go down to a junior college so that I would be eligible to be able to play. And so I went back home. I got back, you know, kind of to my roots um, with my old pitching coach and, and just sort of tried to hit the reset button, basically. Hey, I still love baseball. I still want that to be a part of what I'm doing. But obviously, the way that I tried this the first time didn't work. So let's go back. Let's kind of reset, see what we can do. 
And during that year, you know, I, I, I'll admit I had a really great season. I had a lot of opportunities at Division One, Division Two level to go play again at different places, but kind of realized as I was going through that process that, man, I really am kind of falling out of love with my sport from a, from the level of from the level of intensity that I'm need that it's needed to succeed yeah. at this college level is is really what it came down to. I, I you know I'm at practice. I'm thinking of doing. I'm thinking of other places I could be. I'm thinking of potential jobs or internships that I could be applying to that my friends are applying to that I feel like I can't do. I've got friends that are studying abroad and, and having different college experiences, and and I find myself wanting to do that more than wanting to play my sport. And that was the first time that I had really had ever really had that moment where I was wanting to do something other than play baseball. And so that for me was sort of this identity moment that I really struggled with and I had to kind of come to grips with. And so after that, that season at Weatherford, you know, I, I made the decision after visiting a few schools that, man, my heart's not in this anymore. I can't do it. I'm burnt out. I'm going to go somewhere and it's going to be the same problem all over again. I'm not going to be able to sort of get out of this funk that I wish I could be doing other things and playing my sport. And right. I think I just got myself again. It was a burnout for me. I got I got so over involved with it that I think it started to define who I was, started to strangle my my identity and, and my activities. And I just I I couldn't get away from it. And so I needed to sever sever that relationship at that point. And for me, the toughest part and, and kind of the most impactful part of my chapter, you could argue, is when I made that decision to stop playing and and yes. to tell my parents because for me that was a you know, and I think for a lot of athletes, that's how I identified myself entirely. It wasn't mm -hmm. like I was somebody who played baseball. I was a baseball player. And if I didn't have that, I didn't know what my role was in life, to be honest with you. I didn't know what my role was in society. I, I didn't I didn't have I didn't feel like I had anything else that I brought to the table right. beyond that. So when I decided to stop playing my sport, you know, there was a, a ton of fear and a ton of, you know, laid up by that depression and, and anxiety of what's next and in and, and an identification crisis in my life. And, you know, that was sort of the lowest point that I was ever at in my process. And that's, you know, I, I had a plan effectively to commit suicide at that point. I had written out letters to my parents. I had written out letters to my sister and my grandparents, um, effectively yeah. apologizing for not being able to live up to this expectation that I felt was my duty almost as, as this athlete on the, in the family. Um, you know, I feel very, I feel extremely fortunate every day that, you know, I lived close enough to my home where I sort of made the determination of, Hey, I'm going to go home and I'm going to have this conversation with my parents. I'm going to tell them that I'm not doing this anymore. And I'm going to see what happens if they're, if they're good with it, if they're cool with it, then, then great. And we'll move forward. And if they're not, then I have this, solution this terrible short-sighted solution for for you know permanent effects that mm -hmm. i can do if if that doesn't work and and thinking on it now you know it's such a wild step of events in your brain it feels like in this moment but i i can still take myself back to that to that place and it can feel so mm -hmm. black and white and i empathize with the athletes that have gone through with something like that or or feel in that in that space because when you are in that moment and you are in the middle of it it can feel very alone it can feel you know very scary it can feel like this black and white decision of this is who i am this is what i do if i can't do this then what am i and you know that really was the kick for me um that inspired a lot of what athletes to athletes is so i ended up you know luckily i made it on the other side of that in a positive sense was able to throw all those letters away and then i'm going to the university of texas at austin as a full-time student just went there as right. a student and Took me about a semester to get my sea legs under me and understand what it meant to be a, a student and not, you know, student athlete. And 
having all this free time on my hands and having to find a job and all these different things. But by the end of my time at UT, it was it was like this rubber band in my life. It just completely uncoiled. And I had a better mm-hmm. understanding of who I was. I had a better understanding of what my goals were, of what I wanted to do. And a lot of, of, of that was built on this idea of, hey, there's got to be a better way mm-hmm. to approach this recruiting process and approach this college athletic process that isn't so intertwined with your identity being this sport and everything sort of riding on athletic success. Because what I found even when I was at, at Texas Tech or at Weatherford is that Man, it doesn't matter how much you love that sport and how, you know, what level you're playing that sport at. At the end of the day, there's only so many games that you play and only so many practices you could be in. The rest of that time, you're in that city, you're with that community, you're taking those classes, you're getting that degree, mm-hmm. and no amount of your sport can make up for the rest of your college experience. All of it has to be a, a positive influence on your life, or you're never going to be able to get the most out of college that you want to get out of it. And the price of college nowadays, you need to be getting 100% out of that experience than just 30% that might be your athletics. Yes. Uh, I mean, well, you know, I read about, you know, in the chapter, I read about the the potential suicide thoughts that you had, and I didn't realize how deep it actually was because, you know, again, you don't get that through reading a book. Eventually, you know, you got to have a conversation with someone. So I didn't realize how deep you were actually already writing letters and you were actually committed to doing that. So you know, what, and, and as you just said, the, the thing that pulled you out of that was just being a regular student. So I think the best, the, the best thing that happened is, or the best thing that you can explain, if you can, if you can take yourself back to that time is, can you talk about possibly maybe a moment or what was it about being a regular student? Because again, I, I totally get what you're saying, because my, I myself have had suicidal thoughts as well. So again, I hundred percent am with you. I'm with, now you've got me into my place where I was thinking about, you know, just was when I was trying to start up a team in ocean city, I was thinking about just running in the river and just not coming back. So I, I get where you're coming from when it comes to that. But what pulled me out was just, again, the look in my mother's eyes, the look in these young kids eyes, the look in knowing that my story can touch so many people, but can you, I guess, you know, go ahead and just talk about how, being at UT and being a regular student was able to pull you out. And like you said, give you a a kind of a refresher on life. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, you know, for me, it was a bit of a two pronged approach or or sort of a a two sided coin, I guess. So on the one end, I think the part that really hit me the most and, and, you know, immediately sort of in that short kick was my parents' uh, reaction to me saying, I didn't want to play sports anymore. I think for me, Mm. you know, it was, again, it was, this is who I am. This is what I do. This is my expectation. My family has committed this number of dollars for me to do all these things. You know, we've sacrificed family time and vacations and things like this. You know, I owe it to, to my family to continue to be this person. Yeah. And they were uh, shockingly didn't very content with my decision. It was very, you know, they wanted to make sure that it wasn't something where I was wow. just frustrated in the moment or, you know, feeling yes. struggle about a particular issue or something like that. You know, they wanted to make sure it wasn't one of those types of things. But I think that, you know, for me, I was very fortunate. My family was very much like, okay, like you got to go to school and you got to get a job and you got to move on to the next chapter of your life. But like, okay, baseball's not working anymore. Let's do something different. And well, I think first just of all, general... we, we, we got we a shout out to the parents if you're listening. I, I mean, that they don't understand. That helps me. That, that only that does not just help read 
but that helps not myself and all of the other athletes that are struggling with that. Even if you were struggling with suicide or you're struggling with a deep depression and you don't want to be here and your parents don't give you that reaction. Let's say your parents are like, man, fuck that. You need to play. You're a baller. No, someone else cares. You know, no, someone else cares. There are parents, there are adults out there that give a shit about your well-being and, and they're not going to force you and pigeonhole you and put you in this place where you have this glass ceiling. So shout out to mom and dad on that. I, by the way, that happens on the show when people, when there's certain things that get said on this show, I just have to cut people off and make a point. So, but shout out to mom and dad on that, man. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. And to your point, you know, I, I feel like incredibly fortunate, you know, my parents, <laughs> had the reaction that they did. Right. And that works out mm-hmm. great for me, but to your point, that's, that's not everybody's situation. That's not everybody's yeah. reality. And that sort of leads into my, my sort of second uh, chapter, second tier of, of kind of that healing process, which was, <laughs> man, when I went to UT, nobody knew that I was a baseball player. When I got there, I had a couple of buddies that I knew at UT. It's a 50,000 person campus, right? I had a couple buddies that I knew there that had known I was coming from, from baseball and whatnot. To be honest, those really weren't the people that I spent a lot of time with just because when I got to UT, I discovered that people cared about me as a person. They didn't, you know, I found people that had the same interests I did. I found people yeah. in my classes who liked what I liked. I found people who wanted to talk about sports, not from a, hey, I can do this and I can do this, but just, right. hey, I'm watching the Brewers today or I'm watching the Dallas Stars today or what do you want to go do? And for me, that was sort of this eye-opening moment of, oh man, I, I, I am a person beyond an athlete. Right. And I think we that's been a theme that's been huge, I think, recently, which is fantastic, in my opinion, that, uh, you know, athletes are, are starting to really celebrate their identities outside of just being athletes. We see it at the professional level. I think we're seeing it, you know, even farther down as we go. Um, but that to me was that click moment. But, you know, I was able to connect with people at at that school through various clubs, organizations, just general interest that I was going to classes. And nobody even knew that I was a baseball player and nobody cared. They, they wanted to spend time with me because of me or whatever it was that I was bringing to the table that day. And I had never really had that before. I hadn't, you know, since I was sort of defined as this baseball kid in high school, when a lot of my, you know, normal socialization happens outside of my parents setting up play dates, that's really the crutch that I had to lean on. And so when I didn't have that and people were wholly unaffected by it and, and, and liked me for me, I think that was that moment of, to your point, you know, somebody yeah. out there doesn't care. That you play that yeah. sport and play that sport. And I think I think before it, that was almost intimidating to me that they wouldn't care about this thing that was such a big deal to me. And then it became such a relief in the second half of my life where it was, man, I don't I don't have to rest on the laurels of my of my athletic success to build long term relationships with people that care about me and want to be around me. And if I look back and really think about it, that was probably the case for a good majority of my friends that I had and even who I played with. And they were probably all struggling with similar thoughts as that. But until you experience it and have somebody really come at you, have no idea what your athletic background is and enjoy you as a person, I, I think it, it doesn't necessarily click until you until you feel that. Yes. Yes. And, and that that is very important because it does lead into not only just friendships, but also romantic relationships and then you know how you raise your family and then how generations get built. Like if you're dealing with if in my sport, there's a lot of players that are football players and they're dating girl girls like them just because they're football players that I'm sure you go through the same thing. And I have the conversation all the time is you think that's someone you should marry when it's no, if you didn't play that sport, 
would she want you? And when they ask that question, it's like, you're right. You know, we got to get deeper. We got to figure out who really likes us for us. And, and that's why I really want to get to, to what you're doing with athletes to athletes, the business you're in, because this one is a trigger for me at Reed. Um, after college, I, I, my first job was at a scouting company named National Scouting Report. And I would go, I would go and watch the game. I went to Alabama, I paid my, I think it was like a thousand nine hundred or something like that for my licensing fee or my what's it called the franchisee fee or whatever it was I was an independent scout and you know I would go to these games and I would go put eyes on kids I would do everything the right way and then get the parents get the parents numbers we'd all have a sit down and I'd end up charging them or try to charge them I'd end up selling them trying to pitch them a similar service like yours it was three thousand or something like that and i'd shop them around at certain colleges and all that and me and that company really had a rough rough ending because i told them look we're in a different world now uh, i'm not going to just you know try to charge everyone and nowadays kids can put their profile up and they can kind of shop themselves or whatever it is and there's so many services out there like that where the kind of the agent type person gets looked at as very shady. And that's why I want to kind of give you the platform to, to speak to anybody who may say, Hey, those kinds of services that say they're going to help a high school kid get to a college aren't, you know, aren't great services. So can you kind of speak on how yours is different and how you started yours and what, what, what makes yours unique? Yeah, absolutely. And I appreciate the opportunity to talk about it. You know, we, we, um, the company was founded based on, you know, kind of my own experiences in college and realizing that, man, there's a lot of questions that should be asked that aren't most of the time. And there's a lot of things that that kids and families, should, you know, deserve to be made aware of in the recruiting process and in the college selection process that they're they're not inherently in most scenarios. And so for us, it was important to, for me, it was important to create something that just sort of democratized that that education and, and empowered families to feel better about making those college decisions and not feeling hogtied by sales speak from coaches or not feeling like they had to make a decision or had to, to pick something over something else because, you know, a coach is pressuring them to do so or they feel like there's no other options and this is the only way they're going to get to college or whatever it might be. You know, yeah. that was something that was very near and dear to my heart. And then on the other side, to your point, you know, I think all of the things that I knew about growing up were, you know, these recruiting sites. Um, yeah. There's a bunch out there. NSA, and, all of them. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Pull one out of a hat. There's 75 of them. They all look <laughs> right. exactly the same. They all charge the same way. They all do the same thing. And really when it comes down to it, you know, for 99% of kids, it doesn't do anything. It right. coaches are coaches are preconditioned to ignore those spam junk emails they know that kids get on there because these folks are trying to charge folks to get on there. Uh, a lot of times, you know, those custom packages they built and things like that are people who will take them through a couple basic workshops or a couple basic lessons. And then if it doesn't work or if they're not getting results, they gaslight the family and tell them it's their fault for not doing enough or whatever it might be. And so it just was a, you know, it, it came from this recruiting background and they were trying to leverage relationships and all this kind of stuff. It just wasn't working. And, I, and, and to, really, it, it wasn't answering the question that needed to be answered. It wasn't answering the important issue when it comes down to this, which is what we were doing, which is, you know, where are you, where is your best college fit? Take, take athletics out of it and, you know, take athletics out of it entirely to begin with, which is what we do and say, where, what are your needs and your wants in a college experience? What do you want to get out of it from a degree? Where do you want to live? Who are the people that you want to be around? What is the community that you want to be a part of? What is the, 
what is the network that you want to build out from to create your 40-year career trajectory when sport inevitably ends for you, whether you play professionally or not? What are all these things that you need to succeed in college, which is why I went and got, you know, all of my professional background is now in college counseling. So we we will shout it from the rooftops. I'll say it today. I'll say it anytime people give me a chance. We are not a recruiting company. We are a yes. college counseling company. We're a college prep program. That is what we do. We just happen to tier our groups towards student athletes. So does that include helping kids get a suite of recruiting information figured out? Yes. Does it include helping kids manage the reach out process and knowing the, the best ways to sort of fit cadences with coaches and things like that? Yes. Are we a representative of that student athlete? Not at all. That kid needs to want to do it more than anybody else in the room. And mm-hmm. that's the most important part of this process. So when we start with any family, the first thing we do is say, look, take your sports, take your athletics, put it in a box and put it up in the corner. If you want to play college athletics and you have the talent and you have the drive to do it, that's not going to change. I don't have to teach you how to want to be a college athlete. That's not part of what we're doing here. What I'm going to teach you is how to think about college and how to think about evaluating colleges and exploring colleges. We need to find out what is it that you need in your college experience that's going to help you succeed both short-term and long-term, both in the four years that you spend with that with that team, right, on average, and then the 40 years beyond when you're leveraging that degree to create a lifestyle for yourself that allows you to do the things you want to do, live in the neighborhoods you want to live in, marry the people you want to marry. Whatever it is that your goal is, we need to put you in a position to succeed in all of those things. So we're going to look at academics. We're going to look at personal fit. We're going to look at financial fit. We're going to look at you know culture and environmental uh aspects of, of where you're going to school. And then once we have those needs and those those desires sort of fleshed out and, and a bit more tangible, then we're going to re-implement the athletics component and we're going to teach you how to use athletics as a vehicle and as a leverage point to get to these schools that are going to help you succeed beyond that. And if you can use your sport to do that, or if you can compete in your sport and have that be a part of your experience, then that's fantastic. But I will never tell a family, you know, I think a lot of what these recruiting programs do, you know, they live off the laurels of these kids that go to these different places and commit to different places, right? So we'll use and it's not only the the companies, but there's actual high school in my sports, there's actual high school coaches that do this as well. There's actual yeah. high school coaches that and, use the relationships they have with college coaches to entice kids to keep playing or to use like let's say someone commits to some d3 school but doesn't like it and ends up transferring they're able to now go to this family and say oh well i have six or seven kids committed to college or someone commits to a juco now all of a sudden you're going to families and say yeah i got guys committed and now you're enticing families so it's gotten even worse than when i left it's it's not only that there's third-party agents now there's high school coaches who are third-party agents and now they're trying to leverage themselves for college coaching jobs and it's an it's an absolute mess (laughs) it's a mess yeah so what, what you're doing is so awesome because again the element of taking your athletics, putting it in a box and saying, good, you're good at that, but put that away. That's not what your college, that is not what your college experience needs to be centered around. Okay. I'm, I'm talking to you. You are not Caleb Williams, guys. I'm just giving them 99% of you guys are not going to be Caleb Williams. You're not going to be CJ Stroud. You're not going to be Tua Tagovailoa. You're not going to be those dudes. I'm talking to 99% of you right now. Not going to happen. I get your mommy and daddy telling you you're that good, but you're not. Go ahead, man. Yeah, no, I mean, you hit the nail on the head, right? It's not just high school coaches, it's club coaches, it's, you know, everybody yes. kind of has that angle in, in, in the argument of the marketing to it is, you know, hey, we get this many kids to division one, or we send this many kids to this school or whatever it might be. And my argument to that is, 
you know, that shouldn't be the goal that you're pushing towards. That shouldn't be the thing you're proud of. You should be proud right. of what is the retention rate of your kids at the school that they go to? What's the graduation rate of the kids that go to the schools that, that, that you put in? What's the satisfaction rate of their community? Have they, have they found a place where they feel like they belong? You know, when they call you, are they saying, you know, ah, I don't really like where I am. It's kind of tough, but, you know, but I'm, yes. but I'm on the baseball team and, you know, hopefully I'm going to play next season or whatever. I mean, what, what do those conversations look like, right? We want our kids to call us and have sports be the third or fourth thing they tell us about because they're excited about the city they're in. They're excited about the people they're around. You know, they're, it's a holistically satisfying experience for them. And that's what we're shooting for. And so I think for us, you know, that, that, that's where I get a little bit, that's where I struggle is that, you know, using that, that leverage point of we send X kids here, or we, we have this many connections or whatever, not only does it sort of, in my opinion, take advantage of those families and sort of fear tactic them into trying to work with you with the expectation that they're going to get into X school or Y school because of some connection you have or because of some pipeline you have. But really, it's it's super limiting for the kids and where they're looking at schools, right? I mean, you've got literally over a thousand NCAA institutions that exist in the country, and every one of them can provide you some unique level of support, opportunity, family culture, insert thing here. And so if you're being reactive in the recruiting process and you're letting coaches dictate the schools that you look at and the schools that you pay attention to, rather than being proactive and pursuing the schools that you feel fit what you need best and allowing mm -hmm. those coaches to give you feedback and sort of sift through what's a good fit and what isn't a good fit, then right away, I mean, with the with the flick of a switch, you are cutting off 95% of your, of your school opportunities in the country simply because you're letting somebody else dictate your storyline on where you go to college. Right. And I'll even take it a step further for anybody out there that is wanting to work in sports, that wants a career in sports. Here's how that oh, damn near ruined my career. I was scout. This is back when I was with NSR Reed and I was scouting a basketball player. I believe it was in Northern Virginia. And like I told you, I actually put eyes on the kid. I recruit and I see who actually stands out. So it's not one of these services where I'm just going to, you know, where you could just sign up wherever. Someone actually has to watch the kid and see if he can play. So I was there in the stands by myself and a dad approaches me. He goes, hey, I uh, signed my son up to something like to NSR. He recognized the, the logo. He goes, I signed my son up to that. However, I never heard back from the scout. So I told him how it works. He goes, oh, my God, he took my $3,000 and I never heard from the guy. And I, so you got to understand, I took this job think that it was going to give me a college coaching job not realizing oh my god now i'm one of these guys now because of who i'm associated with right because of the company I, the decision i made now i'm associated with this dude where or this company that is scamming parents out of their money <laughs> so now the whole college coaching route for me it was from that night on i said to myself you know what entrepreneurship and, and that, when it comes to being an entrepreneur guys look a lot of us don't plan it sometimes it just has like situations like that happen to where again you have no other option you just got to grind so when that happened i realized look i gotta serve a different purpose i gotta come out here and, and do something different because that sucks you know i did that took the job thinking i was going to get my foot in the door for a college coach position and now all of a sudden i'm scamming families you know, so it, it significantly ruins the career. So that again, with your company and everything I've read about it, I was so wanting, and I'm glad you clarified that for me, is that it is not, you know, all about athletics. It is college counseling happens to be athletic background. So I'm glad you clarified that. Yeah, no, I appreciate the opportunity to do so. And yeah, I mean, to your point, right? It's, it's, 
so many people get into that wanting you want to help people right and then mm-hmm. that's your story as well you want to help people you want to find a way to help unfortunately the structures that currently have a lot of the market landscape um are a little more worried about their bottom line than they are about you know making an impact and making a difference in that community and so we're sort of trying to do our part to to take that back a little bit and kind of redefine you know what this what what families are owed when it comes to to preparing for these types of things and that's you know we try to be very transparent with our pricing. We're very transparent with our programming. You know, every kid, they're going to see their schedule when they see us. They're going to know, you know, we're with our kids minimum six months to a year, depending on the program they're with us. And so we build a relationship with those families. We build a relationship with those kids. You know, we the number of people that that have worked with us or not worked with us and then gone and worked with another insert recruiting group here, right? And then come back to us after, you know, three to six months. Oh, and wow. say, oh man, that was not what we thought. <laughs> What right. is is crazy? I mean, that's uh, shoot. They're they're probably one of our best uh, marketing tactics. And if you really were to break it down, right. just because they're not, you know, they're not putting they're not putting their their students first. That that's not the goal of what they're doing, and it's so unfortunate. But that's really you know that is at the core of what we do. Right. And well, actually, this is probably a great time now. Can you just tell people again, you know, what's next? What do you see coming down the pipeline? I'm and I'll, I'll become a fan now. Just hearing you talk, you know, where do we? How can people support? You know, what do you got playing next? How can people really get involved? With what you got going on, man? Because this is this is great stuff, guys. This is this is awesome, awesome stuff when it comes to the mindset and. Again, I'm going to keep repeating myself when I say this is he put the athletics somewhere else, because, again, it's only one percent harsh reality. One percent going to make it to the league. One percent of you out there listening to me is going to make it to the point where you're getting some money to play now making actual money that to recover what you've already spent up to that point. It's going to be very, very hard. It's probably less than one percent. So how can people support you? Yeah, no, that's, um, you know, we'd love to connect with with any and all who want to be a part of what we're doing, right? We love to connect with college athletes. We love to connect with former college athletes. Um, we love to connect with families that are looking for a little bit of help in this realm, you know, anything and everything. So easiest way to find us is at our website, athletes2athletes.com, T-O in the middle, not the number two, uh, athletes2athletes.com. Um, you know, find us on LinkedIn, athletes to athletes, uh, Instagram and Facebook. We're A2A Academy, A, the number two, A Academy. Um, that's sort of our, our programming name and, and how we run from that standpoint. Those are the best ways to find us. We have contact forms all over the place. Um, you can DM us, you can shoot us an email, whatever you want to do. We, we love to connect. We love to talk. You know, we get smarter when we talk to families and learn more about what we can do to support them. We, we get smarter when we talk to college athletes and learn about the things that are affecting them today and not what affected us 10 years ago. And so we love to talk to them as well. So Man, anybody who who has a desire to to help these kids make better decisions in college and, and you know set themselves up for a more successful, you know, 40, 50 year tenure, uh, that's that's who we want to interact with. Or families that feel like they need that help to get to that place. We want to help. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. And all of that will be included in the show notes as well. I read. So the the way I close out all of the shows, this is what I do. I want you to use your imagination. You are the Reed Meyer right now, the CEO, founder of Athletes to Athletes, just killing it, doing your thing. All right. And I want you to pretend that this this guy, this this former Reed came in, the 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 one who was contemplating suicide, the one who was absolutely depressed, the one who didn't really see his future. I want you to pretend that that young man just came into the Zoom room and just give him some words of encouragement and we'll officially close with that. Mm, That's a great question. 
you know, I think probably the the advice that I that I was trying to give myself after the fact the whole time is that you know you are you're allowed to have passions outside of your sport. You're allowed to be more than just this one thing that you feel defines you. It's you know be be proud of of the individual that you are and be proud of of all of the things that make you who you are and not just the one thing that you feel gets the most attention in this moment. Yes, yes, and again, I. I said read young read, but I'm sure there's, you know, thousands, probably close to millions of athletes that you actually just helped with that. So I'm speaking for them right now, man. We appreciate you, man. Keep doing your thing. I'm sure we're going to stay in touch and do a lot of great things. We've got a lot of great things planned for all of the co-authors, by the way, and the six-figure athletes. So if you if, if you haven't got the book yet, make sure you get a copy of that book because it's it was just volume one. All right, <laughs> just volume one. But we're going places with that book, man. All right. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It was a blast to chat with you. Uh, my pleasure. My pleasure. All right, fellow teammates, continue to move swiftly. We will talk more soon. So far away from knowing where I'm going And trying hard to find out who I am They all say that I don't know what I'm doing I say they don't hardly understand
These dreams can come up.